As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, welcome everyone to this 2 p.m. conversation on Monday the 27th with Mike Glenn. Mike is the Vice President of Business Development for the Lindner Center of Hope. After 16 years in the field of energy and construction, which is, I think Mike and I have known each other, at least known of each other for maybe the last 14, Mike left his career in the construction to focus on his passion of mental health, awareness, education, and advocacy with schools, businesses, and government officials. Mike overcame the loss of his father to suicide at 11 and uh, earned a bachelor's and master's degree in engineering from the University of Wisconsin and Purdue University, respectfully. Mike was named uh, Cincinnati Business Courier's 40 Under 40 in 2015. Mike, I just last night, I was talking to someone about their application for the 2020 class. And as a fellow 2013 alumni, I was recommending how great of a group that was. So Mike, thank you for joining us on this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute, and I look forward to the dialogue, the transparency, and the opportunity to discuss mental health with you today. Really appreciate it, Mike, being on your podcast. Looking forward to talking about mental health today and uh, the impact it has in our community, and if we can just move the needle a little bit more in that direction of people being open people being willing to share their stories, be vulnerable, support each other. You know, it's all worth it. Excellent. Excellent. Mike, you and I had the pleasure of being on a uh, panel last with some incredible folks who are passionate about the opportunity to really use this time as an opportunity to get people having conversation about mental health and the opportunity that we all have and that we all struggle or have some past or some experience, right? That mm-hmm. family, and I say this boldly, I don't think there's been any family that's not been touched by some type of mental and emotional health problems or challenges and concerns. So is there anything, and I, you know, I made a little introduction of yourself, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of share your heart's passion in this work and help us lead into some further questions. Well, like many that go into the mental health field, they're inspired to do that. And, you know, I'm no different. Like the bios that you read said, I've been impacted by mental illness my whole life. Lost my father to suicide. He struggled for a long time. I knew at a very early age, there was something different about my dad and how he behaved. You know, there was the ups and downs. He he struggled with bipolar disorder. And so, you know, I would see the depths of depression at times, and then I would see the erratic, you know, manic behavior, very startling, you know, as a kid. I left my career a couple years ago, joined the center in May of 18, with the idea that I believe that this was my path, you know, this was my calling. I truly believe that my dad went through what he went through to allow me to really understand, really develop the empathy of what it means for someone to have a mental illness, you know, how devastating that is for that individual. 
at times, how much it can impact the family and, and friends around them. And so having that understanding, that background, although I'm not a clinician, like I said, an engineer by education, I'm, I'm, I'm a, just a problem solver. But as I got involved with the Linder Center about five years ago, through volunteering for their Touchdown for Hope event, which is uh, our annual fundraiser, I started to see how much mental health was impacting businesses. I had a lot of really good conversations with leaders as I was asking for their support for our annual fundraiser. And people just shared their stories and they really opened up with me. CEOs, presidents, you know, leaders in the construction engineering world in the greater Cincinnati region that were just sharing their stories with me. And I really saw how much it was impacting them. And then also they kept sharing how much it's impacting their staff and they just didn't know what to do about it. How do you start that conversation, you know, as a leader in your office around mental health? And I just kept hearing that same theme over and over again. And so I kind of came to the conclusion that there's an opportunity here for me to help them with having that business background, not going into the field of mental health right away, but just being in business, but yet still having that understanding around mental illness and being able to talk with leaders. There was an opportunity I thought that was there. And so I presented that to the Linner Center, and I'm just very grateful for the opportunity that Craig and Francis Linner has provided me. And then, of course, the leadership that we have at the center, Dr. Kecker, CEO, and the rest of the executive team, just being supportive around how do we help businesses talk about mental health? You know, how do we get those conversations started? You know, how do we educate them on how much it's impacting their bottom line? And I'm sure we'll go into the details of that during the call. Yeah, yeah. So helping organizations begin the conversation. I know we've talked a lot about like someone has to go first, right? That using, I think what came up in our discussion last week of using the kind of the EAP model and the ERGs and getting people together. It's nice to say these things are available, but the struggle with mental health is that we need to feel the doors open for us to start a conversation and begin the dialogue. Have you seen some of that changed either, you know, let's just say during over the last year, are you finding that more organizations are open to have the conversations beyond just providing the resources? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I've seen this evolution over the last couple of years of where when I first joined the center, I had to do most of the digging and, and getting people to talk about it. You know, I had to reach out to companies but what I've noticed in the last two years is this change where people are now reaching out to me. For example, today's podcast that we're doing, these opportunities have really come up in the last, well, especially with the COVID-19 crisis in the last few weeks. But I saw the trend even before that. Companies are now hearing about the things that we're doing. They're hearing about Start the Conversation. They're hearing other companies starting to take action and starting to take ownership in that mental health space and educating their employees. And so people are reaching out now. I've had different speaking opportunities, whether, for example, the um, Forest Park uh, Chamber wanted me to speak at one of their membership meetings. We had an event last September with 
the Cincinnati Chamber and the Business Courier and the Linder Center, we came together and we created an event last fall mm-hmm. talking about business and mental health. And so I've really seen the change in the last two years, which is really exciting. You know, I talk to people in terms of a decade plan. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've had, we've been dealing with stigma and taboo and we can't talk about mental health for decades. And so, you know, I realize that we're not going to change that overnight. It's going to take some time. And so I kind of view it as kind of personally my own little like decade plan of trying to get companies to start talking about mental health, get some momentum, really change the way. And and I'm pleasantly surprised at just how much it's really changed even in the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's certainly a recognition that we have to do more, right? Yeah. And it's a conversation around making people know that we care. I mean, also employers need to care enough about their people to want to help them be more successful and to, and success doesn't just mean it works. Success needs to mean in their personal lives and us allowing ourselves to get a glimpse of our employees and what they're really wrestling with and how I can really be there to support them and their families ultimately helps companies. You know, you hear a lot in family business that family business owners say our employees are like family. And many of them really mean that. They really know what's going on in the children's lives, their parents' lives, grandparents. And part of this is also knowing what's really happening in their life. And it's okay for us to know one another, for us to open up. I was having a conversation, Mike, I shared in our discussion last week a little bit about my sister. And I called her after that. And had a dialogue with her and she was like, you know, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I want all of the people to know around me that I struggle, that I struggled and I still struggle with various topics. The intensity level has changed, but it's so important for the next generation of people that are struggling to have people like me that say, hey, I'm happy to talk to you about it, right? I'm happy to share what I dealt with. And, you know, and she also shared that You know, at the point of her lowest point, which is when she was in college, she was thankful that our family was also open with her struggles. And we had went to family therapy together and we had had conversations and it wasn't a secret. We weren't trying to hide what she was going through to the rest of our extended family, that that's what kept her alive. Because when she was at her darkest moment, her decision was to call mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I need you to come down here. I can't move. I'm in my dorm room. I need somebody to pull me out of here physically. She said, I turned to my family because I know you all love me versus hurting myself. And I think I'm from a perspective of why do we cover this on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast? Because I've seen it personally in my life that by mm-hmm. an open conversation, by having friends go through tough things, by having family members go through really tough things, the way they come out the other side is that they know someone's here for them, right? And when we feel so isolated, it's a natural tendency to think no one's going to understand. Nobody loves me. No one understands what I'm going through. For me, I think it's a big, dark lie. We all do have people who love us and care for us, but sometimes we don't want to bring our burdens to them, right? So just out of that discussion had a 
really empowering conversation that my sister and I haven't had in a few years about why she doing what she's doing. And she was like, you know, uh, she calls me Mick, you know, Mick, I've got two people right now, two younger girls that know I've struggled too. And they're asking me, how did you get through this? And, and being there, having the discussion is critical to open up the door to have further dialogue. So employers who are listening and watching this and people leaders, not just employers, but just people leaders. If you supervise, if you're on the front line, we all have the opportunity to be more authentic. And if people judge you because you're authentic, my recommendation is move the heck on to another organization and find better people to be around who allow you to be authentic. Mike, have you seen, what are some of the behavior changes that you feel organizations are making to allow people to open up and feel a little bit more vulnerable in the workplace? Well, the example that I always like to share as far as companies that are doing a great job is tier one performance. They're our partner with Start the Conversation. So the story behind that is that Greg Hermeyer, their CEO, him and his and his partners recognized about five years ago that all three of them had been impacted by mental illness, and they recognized that they had some employees that were hurting as well. And so they were proactive. And really, that's the theme I'd like to kind of hit home on the podcast today is that leaders just really need to be proactive. The problem with mental health and listening to you talk about your sister is that on average, people wait eight to 10 years to get treatment. And what happens is people wait too long and they end up in a crisis situation where they're suicidal, they're manic, they're psychotic, and they end up in the hospital. And had they got treatment right away, it could have been managed potentially through outpatient appointments. But back to um, the story of tier one, they were proactive. They're good at implementing programs. They're at business consulting firm. They have great ideas. You know, they just needed a partner to figure out a way to talk about mental health in the office. And so they reached out to us and we brought our expertise, you know, with the Linner Center and our clinicians. And we brought the content and the ways in which, you know, how to talk about mental health. And then Tier One brought their expertise and implementing that. And so out of that came Start the Conversation. And what that is, is a, it's about a four-week program where we help take companies through a journey in learning about mental health. Tier one went through it five years ago. And out of that was an experience that had a huge impact on that company. If Greg was on, he would say that prior to launching that program as their leader, he pretty much never had a conversation around mental health in the workplace. But since that time, he has shared that just about every week, someone is talking about mental health somehow, some way. And it brought their company closer in ways that they never thought could be achieved. Their culture is fantastic. You know, they just don't leave. You know, their turnover rate is extremely low. And that's because their leadership was vulnerable and they took action and they got their employees to talk about mental health. And they really opened up and they really shared. They learned through that experience that just about everybody is impacted. They took a survey as part of that program. And the question asked, you know, have you been impacted by mental illness? And 
94% of their staff said they were impacted. So it was just really eye-opening and it's, it's completely changed who they are as a company. And I credit Greg and their leadership for doing that. So when I started with the Linner Center a couple of years ago, Greg was the first person I reached out to. And I said to him, you know, you had a great program. It made a huge difference for tier one. I'm interested in rolling that out to other companies. You know, would you be willing to kind of share, you know, the materials and, and what you guys did? And he said, we'll do more than that. We'll work with you and we'll partner. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking the program. We've uh, now launched it with about eight companies. And we have several more in the pipeline that are interested. It's really gained momentum, especially in the last few months. What's interesting is basically about every company that we've worked with, anywhere between 90 and 100% of the participants say they've been impacted by mental illness. And so it's just been you know, very eye-opening. You know, as companies are going through it, what we tell them is that it's their program. They're going to own it. Um, they're going to implement it. We're going to guide them through the process. But we tell them that, you know, that CEO, president, whoever that leader is, they have to believe in it. They're going to lead it through the program. And we've had some CEOs just be incredibly vulnerable, open up, share their stories, we had one staff member that was with a company for about 10 years. She said it was the best staff meeting that she's ever been a part of in 10 years when we went through their kickoff presentation. And that's simply because she got to see her leader, her CEO, just open up in a way that she had never seen before. Yeah. And it just brought that staff together. And I think it just moved her. And so that's the power of talking to your staff about mental health and opening up, realizing that we're all impacted can just really bring a company together. Yeah. 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 I mean, part of the vulnerability of leaders, right? It's talked about, I know Brene Brown has lots of uh, great conversations and video about, you know, the impact of vulnerability and what it does to the rest of us, right? It gives us the freedom to have the conversation. Once one person has the freedom, one person has to go first. To start the conversation, is it going through a relaunch right now? Yeah, so what we did when Tier 1 went through it five years ago, that was kind of the original program. And then when I joined the center, we decided to kind of do a refresh. We went over all the materials. We updated things. We created a series of short videos where people can watch them. They're two to four minutes. They talk about some of the different mental illnesses. They talk about, you know, the different mental health care service providers, such as psychiatrists versus a psychologist. And so we did a refresh. And then, especially in the last few weeks uh, with COVID-19 crisis, with everyone having to work remotely, we're now doing another kind of refresh of the program. We're trying to figure out ways to launch it remotely. Okay and get people engaged, even though, you know, it's through a Zoom call or that sort of type of platform. It's just an exciting, innovative time, especially to be working with Tier 1. That's what their team does. They figure out ways to integrate and to help companies take on programs and work that into their culture in the best possible way. And so right now we're in the process of doing that. And I think Tier 1 is actually 
going to try and launch a newer version for their staff this coming May. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was on a call with uh, Greg earlier, and he referenced that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, share. We've been giving some shout outs to a company that's doing well. I mean, I think we need to really prop up and support those companies who are going first, right? For various reasons. And as you look at kind of depression, anxiety, addiction, is Lender Center of Hope, I just, for the audience who isn't aware of the organization, is the Lender Center of Hope focused on all of the above or one component? So I'll just give kind of an overview of the Lender Center, you know, for those that are listening that may have heard of us, but don't exactly know what we provide. We're one of the largest freestanding mental health care centers in the country. What's unique about us is we only focus on mental health and we provide all the service lines under one roof. So whether it's inpatient, outpatient, partial hospitalization programs, intensive outpatient, residential, you know, regardless of what someone's needs are, the Linder Center can take care of them. We also have an addiction center, Hope Center North, which is just a few miles north of our campus in Mason, and their focus is on addiction. We also have a research institute. So we have a research team that's focusing on, you know, working on the treatment options for the future, which is really exciting because our research team has actually contributed and has supported the Mayo Clinic on national research initiatives, especially with bipolar disorder. We've helped put about six medications through the approval process and get those out there so people can take advantage of the new medications that are out there for bipolar disorder. But what we're really known for and, and why in just a short amount of time, we now have a worldwide reach. In fact, we've seen patients from all 50 states three continents, 10 countries, even as far as Australia and Asia. But what we're known for is our comprehensive diagnostic assessment. And that's a situation where we're working with some of the most challenging patients. They've tried different treatments. They've seen different professionals. They're just not having much success getting better. And so our team does a really good job of properly diagnosing them getting them on the right treatment, getting them on the right plan, and and really helping patients see improvements for the first time. And so that's what we have really built our reputation on is our ability to to diagnose and get folks on the right treatments. Okay. And is it inpatient, outpatient, both? Yes. Yes. Yep. For adults, both inpatient and outpatient. Now for adolescents, when it comes to inpatient, we have partnered with Cincinnati Children's. Okay. So at our Mason campus, Cincinnati Children's leases space from us. They have 16 inpatient beds you know, on our campus, but they run and operate that. And then we work with them in providing care for adolescents. Okay. Mike, as it relates to, so, you know, again, just as I shared with my sister's experience growing up, you know, did spend a little time in an inpatient unit when she was older, but got service from children's. And she was sharing, which I thought was some really interesting perspective, that the program she was in at children's was stopped due to funding, right? That there's this 
significant funding gap that's holding mental health services back. And I know you've discussed that as well. How can businesses help on the funding gap regarding mental health and the barriers that that creates for getting high value services and support to our employees and our families? Yeah. So where businesses can really make a difference, I guess there's the research aspect of it and that funding, but just then the day-to-day care of their employees, whether it's outpatient, inpatient, et cetera, where businesses can really help is they need to do a deeper dive into their mental health care benefits and really understand what they're providing for their employees and, and understanding that that investment makes economic sense. We've done research around that. We actually partnered with Haran, insurance broker here in town. Their team did an analysis of their data, uh, especially with claims data. You know, they have hundreds of thousands of dependents under their plans. And so they looked at those numbers. And what's really interesting is they found that the average cost per person in a given year who has a mental health claim is about $10,000 and some change. Now that includes both physical and mental health claims. Then what they did is they looked at the average cost per person that does not have a mental health claim. Their average cost is about $4,000. So two and a half times difference. And I'm sure most businesses are asking, well, where's the difference? Why is there a difference? The two main areas that we think are contributing to that are one, when someone has a mental health issue, like we talked about earlier, they're waiting too long to get help. You know, they're waiting eight to 10 years to finally seek treatment. So what happens is their situation is much, much worse because uh, they've waited too long. And so they potentially end up in the hospital, you know, with a three to seven day inpatient stay mm-hmm. versus had they gotten treatment right away, you know, maybe they would have been able to manage that through outpatient appointments. Obviously, huge difference in expenses between a hospital stay versus an outpatient visit. The other uh, reason why there's such a difference is because, you know, people that have a mental illness tend to have more issues with their physical health. You know, they're not taking care of themselves physically. And so not only do they have the mental health claims, but they also have more physical health claims. And the data shows that. So what we tell companies is that, let's just take an example. Let's say we have a a small business, they have 100 dependents. Well, we know from statistics that 20% of them are going to have a mental health claim. So that's 20 people. So we take our 20 people times $6,000 difference in that average per person, and we're talking $120,000 for a small business, you know, significant dollars. So imagine a huge company that has thousands of employees and thousands of dependents. Now you're talking millions and millions of dollars. So what I tell businesses is, is that, look, be proactive, you know, spend some money in investing in education for your staff. Help support them and encourage them to get treatment right away. Because just from an economic standpoint, that return on investment will be there 10 times over. In that example with $120,000 difference for that small business, if they just spent $5,000 in some sort of programming, education, 
maybe some initiatives around the office, around mental health, that money will be paid back 10 times over. And so I think that the problem is business leaders aren't even aware of this. They don't even understand that the economics behind mental health and how much it's impacting their bottom line. You know, a lot of the leaders that I talk to and I'm sharing these numbers with them, they're just astonished. They had no idea. No idea. And it makes sense because, you know, we're talking decades and decades of stigma. No one's talking about it. The example I like to give, let's say someone unfortunately breaks their leg and let's say they have to have surgery and they have to go through a physical therapy and, and let's say their benefits weren't that good and they owed a bunch of money out of pocket. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to complain to their leadership. They're going to say, this isn't right. I owed all this money out of my own pocket. We need to have better benefits. On the mental health side, those conversations aren't happening. If someone has a mental health issue, let's say they end up in the hospital you know, because they're manic and they owe a bunch of money out of pocket, they're not going to tell their employer or they're not going to complain because they don't want their employer to know that they had this situation. And so leaders don't even know that this is going on. Mm. And when I start to educate them and they start to realize this, it's amazing then how much they open up, they ask tons of questions, they want to know what they can do. Do you feel like the discussion of today, I mean, what is your hope coming out of this world global pandemic that we're in that that will have on mental health? I mean, do you feel like people are becoming a little bit more vulnerable to share their fears, concerns, struggles that they're going through? What do you believe will be a positive outcome from all of this? Going on? Well, you know, unfortunately, our world had to go through this. And, uh, you know, we're still going through it. And we got months ahead of us of dealing with it. However, if from a mental health standpoint, I really think it's a wake-up call. There's been more buzz and talk about mental health in the last few weeks than. I've ever seen it. And that's because it, this is a unique situation. It's not just greater Cincinnati. It's not just the state of Ohio. It's not just our country. It's the entire world that is dealing with something at the exact same time. And what we're dealing with is having a huge impact on our mental health. And so I think we're all realizing it like, hey, our mental health is impacted right now. It doesn't matter if you're a president of a company or entry level coming out of college, we're all impacted by this. And so it's made it easier for people to just say, hey, I'm impacted right now. I'm having a tough day. You know, for people that are more extroverted, like myself, I'm used to meeting with people and driving around greater Cincinnati and going to events and shaking hands and talking to folks. And even myself, I've had to find ways to stay connected with people. I've had to make some adjustments, you know, with my own personal life, my mental health, to try and, and stay structured. And, and so people are having those conversations right now just because we're all in it. And I think it's kind of transferring into their personal life, into their workplace. And so more than ever before, I think leaders are really seeing how much mental health impacts their employees. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a component of us being able to see into little glimpses into individuals' personal lives that'll add to the empathy that we feel for what others go through? Or 
others might be experiencing or the environment they're experiencing it from? You know, these Zoom calls, it's interesting. I mean, I've seen people in their living room, in their kitchens, in their dining rooms or whatever. We're getting to see, you know, a side of people that in a normal situation we wouldn't get to see. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, employees that have kids, you know, there's kids are showing up behind a Zoom call. I'm waiting for my son. (laughs) (laughs) And so employees are getting to see their fellow coworkers in their home environment with their families. You know, we're all trying to juggle that. It's just really humanizing all of us in that, you know, we all have challenges and struggles and we all have families and different things that we're dealing with. And so people are getting to see that, that side of a coworker that we normally wouldn't get to see. And I think what that does is it helps make it even easier to have those conversations now moving forward in the workplace. From a mental health standpoint, this this COVID-19 crisis, I think actually is kind of being a catalyst. It's really going to push the issue. It's going to force employers to really start thinking about mental health more than they ever have. Hmm. And out of that is a good thing. Yeah. How do we, if you look at, there's a couple of questions that have been submitted in terms of reaching out to folks with mental health challenges during this time of physical distancing, how would you recommend people still reach out to others and check in on them and see how we're doing? And what are some recommendations or best practices? Yeah. What I always tell people is just be sincere. Like if if I was reaching out to someone, especially someone that I was concerned about, I'd say, hey, so-and-so, I'm concerned about what's been going on with you lately. I just want to check in. I really care about you. I'm here to support you. Kind of start with just expressing your support and concern for that individual before you are pointing at things that they're doing or saying. When you start with yourself and you come from a place of understanding and empathy and and just concern and compassion, you know, I think the individual will be more open to sharing and having that conversation. So that's what I always recommend is just come from that place of of understanding and and sincerity. And then just express that, you know, you've seen certain behaviors that are not typical or usual, especially now. It's going to be even more critical for people to reach out. When we're in the work environment, we naturally will have conversations in the hallway as you run into people or or you'll see someone in a meeting and you'll notice some. changes in their behavior or their posture or how they're expressing themselves. We lose some of that with us all working remotely now. So it's going to be even more important to be proactive and reach out to people, especially ones that you've been concerned about in the past. In terms of, so, and I think you just touched on this a little bit, but particular language, I know that, you know, many say that when you're addressing something of serious concern or of serious nature to make sure you're building relationship first, but are there particular language or guidance that you give to others of how to approach someone if you are concerned? How do you address that concern without offending or turning someone off immediately? Yeah, like I said, the best way 
is with expressing that you're concerned for them. Point out different behavioral changes that you're noticing. I know this COVID-19 situation is unique and different, but if we were in our traditional, you know, office type of setting, maybe you've noticed some changes in their performance. You know, the, the quality of work is just not there like it usually is, or they're showing up late to meetings. They're not meeting deadlines, things that are kind of red flags of changes in behavior that you're noticing. Maybe perhaps they're, you know, a little bit more withdrawn. They're not engaged in conversations or in, in meetings like they normally are. And so, you know, expressing to that person that I'm noticing these changes, is everything all right? And then let that person take the conversation from there and sharing, you know, what they want to share. And the other thing too is to not push it too hard. I mean, just let that person open up, express at their pace and at their comfort level. And then periodically check back. And I myself, I have a friend that's struggling. And so, you know, I'll ask how he's doing. I'll check in and then I'll back off a little bit, give him that space and, and time. And then I'll check in at a later date and just see how he's doing. That seems to work really well. I know something, Mike, that I thought I would share with our audience. I've gotten personally, it's something that helps me and I believe it helps others who have heard us reference it, that as we can all hit dark days, right, and difficult circumstances, a really beneficial exercise right now as a part of this physical distancing is to reach out to someone. And instead Mm -hmm. of thinking about you, right, and the concern of me reaching out, calling someone saying, hey, here's what I'm going through, here's what my struggles are, make it about them, right? So Think about the last three days. Are there certain people that have come to your mind more than once? Or keep track of this over the next three days. Are there certain people that are coming to your mind more than once? And kind of view that as a prompting instead of just, oh, I wonder why that name came up. I mean, use it as a prompting to pick up the phone and to say hello and to reach out and just tell them you were thinking about them, right? It can lift all of our spirits that can begin a conversation. So if you're hurting and struggling, or you feel like someone else is, just reach out to have a conversation. And in that dialogue, that might actually be a topic that comes up because someone's naturally going to say, no, how are you really doing, right, with all of this? So it can be very fulfilling just to touch base with some friends and some family members. But it's also a way to check in with your employees. And hey, I've been thinking about you for the last few days, because normally we see each other in the cafeteria or in the break room or out on the floor or, you know, as we pass through one of the departments and just letting people know that you're thinking about them and that they've come to your mind will both be a lifting experience for you and for others, right? And we'll kind of weave that into this next topic around self-care. Are there certain things that you encourage people to focus on with self-care, certain best practices that to keep our kind of mental, emotional agility growing and helping us kind of pull ourselves out of grief or the difficulty that we might be experiencing? Yeah. So for this topic in general, you know, every individual is going to be different in how they approach their mental health. It's kind of like the analogy, you know, if you start on the physical health side, 
take, for example, exercise. You know, some people like to run. Some people like to go to the gym. Some people like to lift weights. Some people like to do some sort of Pilates, some sort of yoga. You know, some people like more of the cardio. Some people like doing boot camps with groups. I mean, there are hundreds of different ways to address physical health. And it really comes down to what does someone prefer? Where do they get the most out of what works well for them? I say the same thing on the mental health side. Everybody has to kind of own it themselves and figure out what works best for them. So when I was younger and going through everything that I went through with my dad and not understanding my dad's behavior, I just immersed myself in education. I read tons of books. I did tons of research. I did a research paper on it in high school. I took a psychology class. I did presentations on mental health. And so I took it upon myself to educate myself, learn what I could. And that's what I tell people. This day and age, there's so much information out there. There's so many opportunities to learn. And everybody needs to own that for themselves, for their own mental health. Whether it's, for some people, meditation works really well. You know, some people, like me, exercise really does wonders for my mental health. When I'm feeling, whether it's being anxious, you know, with work or other stressors in life, you know, working out for me does, does great things. For some people, it's their diet. There's lots of research on the connection between the brain and the gut and what we put into our bodies every day. And it can have a huge impact on our mind and how we think and how we feel. And so, you know, for some individuals, that's going to make a huge difference. And so, you know, I myself personally, five years ago, I changed my diet and I noticed I had more energy. It helped me have better thinking, be more clear, you know, especially in the mornings and ramping up and getting going. And so whether it's diet, exercise, mindfulness, different things that you can do, what I recommend for everybody is research it for themselves. Figure out what works for you. Come up with your own plan, have some structure around it, and then implement it. I guess along with that is we can't face this world alone. Myself, I have my own personal board of directors. It's about a half a dozen people. They're on my own team. They all know they're on my team. I I had a conversation. I asked them and I said, are you willing to be in my team? And, and of course, they're excited and happy to do so. And, and I'm on other people's teams as their director and board of director. And so I learned several years ago, you have to have a strong team around you. You can't face this world. There's too many challenges that come up in life that you need that support group. You need people looking out for your blind spots. So having that support group, educating yourself, figuring out what works best for you as an individual and helping your mental health, those are definitely the things I recommend. With the current crisis that we have going on, the three things that I would advise people, one, focus on what you have instead of what you don't have. Yes, I can't go out to restaurants and, and that sort of thing, but I can get carry out and I can have a very good, high quality time with my family over dinner. And so I'm focusing on the fact that I get that. Focus on what you can control instead of what you can't control. 
So I can't control the economy right now. The fact that, you know, the Dow Jones took a huge dip about a month ago, but I did have control over calling my financial advisor and we worked out a plan and we worked out, you know, what we can do. And so that gave me some confidence to deal with the current economic state. And then lastly, which I highly recommend is to limit your intake of news around the COVID-19 crisis. Just take a break from it, you know, tune off. And, you know, we don't have to read every single article and watch every news story that comes out on COVID-19. Give yourself that break, take a day or two off and don't, don't pay attention to it. That alone can help your mindset during this time. Thank you, Mike. As we look at mental illness being, this is a question that was submitted. Do you believe mental illness is chronic or can it be cured? Well, that's a question I always ask of my dad's situation when I was younger. I was hoping he could be cured. Most mental illnesses are chronic in nature. It's something that can be controlled or managed through great treatment and medication. You know, that's why it's so important to find a you know, good psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist on your team. What I tell people is that kind of like on the physical health side, so someone that has diabetes, they have to deal with it for the rest of their life, but they can manage it in a way that they can still have a fulfilling, positive life experience. It's the same thing with mental health. If you're taking the medications, getting treatment, and have that great support group around you, someone can still have a positive, fulfilling life, even though there's not a cure. Excellent. Excellent. And as we wrap up, Mike, are there any additional insights of how someone can start their internal commitment to make mental health a priority, to make their own personal life that a priority in mental health, as well as their team of others. Can you give us maybe one to three things that we can do to really walk away from this conversation and begin making this a priority for our people and for ourselves? Yeah, what I recommend for individuals and companies is really just start small. Don't try to tackle it all at once. So for an example, make a personal commitment to practice gratitude. So the example I give is that, you know, think of all the positive things in your life and just make a list. Anything that you can think of that has impacted your life in a positive way, write it down. And then when you wake up every morning, review your list. Just starting your day in that sort of mindset of gratitude and and seeing all the positive things that are around your life is going to start your day in a great way and get you going. And if you just started with that, I think that would make a huge difference. And then gradually integrate some of the other things we've talked about you know, during the call. Start building your team around you. Start with one or two folks that you're close to and just say, hey, I'd, I'd like you to be on my team. What do you think? I need someone to look out for my blind spots and help guide me and give me some direction celebrate the good times in life and help me through the challenges that I face, I would start building a team. And then probably the third thing I'd start to do is start to look for some sort of release of when you do have anxieties and when you do have pressures. 
I gave examples earlier, you know, whether it's exercise for people that have a strong faith, it could be, you know, something religious aspect to it that helps you get through those uh, challenging times. It could be just taking a moment of silence when you need it, especially in the work day and you, know, you have a busy, hectic day. Take a few minutes and just close your eyes and, and just relax and focus on something positive and allows yourself to reset. If someone were to just focus on those three things, practice gratitude, develop a good team around them, and then just find a way to release you know, some of those stressors in their day, that would definitely get them on a great path for helping with their well-being. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And I would say, thank you, Mike. Those are three great initiatives. I think the focusing on our team around us, some of us know our friends or family who need us to be their team, right? So they might not be able to be the one who reaches out to us, but we sure can reach out to them. The gratitude comment, a little tip that has stuck with me for many years is every time you cross under a doorway, think about something you're thankful for, right? So I know one of the things I'm thankful for is that the last six weeks, the majority of those six weeks, it's been a bright, sunny experience for all of us. You know, I've heard people say, I'm so thankful. This seems like the first year in many years we've actually had a spring, right? Mm -hmm. Some fluctuation in temperature, and it's a great time to get out and get some vitamin D and to watch the and I'm thankful for the tulips and the hyacinths and the crocus are still coming up despite the economy, you know, shutting down. So yeah. just little things like that, that we should never take for granted, that the birds are still chirping. The world is getting healthier, as they say, with some relax of pollution and things like that. But every time you cross under a doorway, express something you're thankful for to help get your mindset into the right space. And sometimes that can be hard. But it is something that physically, I hope it sticks with you, the listener. And it is something that a friend shared with me many years ago that has really helped me stay focused. I use a tool called the Full Focus Planner, which has some resources as you recap each day and each week to think about what didn't go as well that I want to work on next week. What did I not get accomplished? But the majority of the content is what did go well? Uh What did I not get to? I can push off to the next week, but let's celebrate what we did get to and what did happen this week. I mean, you know, just in the last two weeks, our family has built five puzzles together, Disney Pixar puzzles. And um, to be frank, I can only think of one other puzzle. My oldest is 12. I can only think of one other like difficult 750 piece puzzle we've done in 12 years. Now we've built five in, in the last two and a half weeks, right? This time we'll never get back. You know, time is our most precious commodity and most precious asset for all of us. And the time that we're getting to spend around family and friends, and whether that's virtually or within our households, is pretty special, right? So take the deep breath, except that I know that, you know, many people have lost their positions, have had things happen to, you know, 2020, like all of us, was supposed to be the big year that You know, we're going to break out and do all these things. And albeit it may not be, think about all of the good that will come from it, right? And I love, Mike, your comment around you got to have a board of advisors. You know, I talk a lot about our 3 a.m. friends. And 
Sometimes we're in a place where we can go out and reach out and other times others need to reach out to us, right? And again, if we can take those promptings, who do I need to reach out to today? Just to check in, let them know how much I appreciate them, how much I love them, how much I'm thankful for them and express that. Don't just hold it in. People need to hear encouragement from others. So Mike, thank you for this conversation. I know that you and I are going to be talking again on May 20th, or we're participating. I don't know if either one of us are directly speaking, but as a part of the Metropolitan Club in Covington, Kentucky, it's Metropolitan Club of Cincinnati. If you're outside the area and listening, you know, we're doing a series of conversations and we're taking a series around mental health and discussion. I know that Greg Harmeyer, the CEO of Tier 1 Performance, will be on that call. I believe Trevor Steinhauser of Stigmatized, the podcast called Stigmatized, will be on that call. And I'm not exactly certain who the other panelists will be. And I believe it's being moderated by Tarita Preston, who moderated our first one. Tarita, thank you for doing that. So again, we would ask, Mike and I would both encourage you to reach out to both of us. We're pretty visible in various social channels. If you don't feel like you have someone you can reach out to, let us be the one, right? Mike, I shared this in the last conversation we had. And sure enough, I had two leaders reach out to me that said, Mike, I decided because you said it in a discussion on mental health, I was going to take you up on it after that call because I didn't know who to call and to express things to. My you know, I needed someone outside just to express some challenges I'm going through. And, you know, as I say with the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial, that's why we're really here, right? We're helping leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, and helping reframe success and leadership. Those are the legacies we can leave behind by expressing our appreciation, our thankfulness, and our love for others, for those who work with us, around us, and those we know in the community. So, Mike, thank you for joining this week's episode and this conversation. And thank you for all that the Leonard Center of Hope does for our community and the world beyond. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate the time today. And hopefully we made a difference for someone out there that's listening. I would just like to end with just saying that if someone wants to reach out to me, my email is just mike.glenn at leonardcenterofhope.org. And then the other thing, too, is if they want to follow me on LinkedIn, I'm very proactive. I constantly posting information on mental health just about every week. And so if they're looking for that, please reach out to me that way. I'd, I'd happy uh, to connect with them on LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you for doing that, Mike. And to all of our guests and those that have tuned in, thank you for being the leader who you are. And we appreciate you joining this community and we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook please communicate by using hashtag talent magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. 
Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity.